Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Welcome to this episode of Last One to the Party. This episode is a little different. It's a podcast within a podcast. I was asked by some folks to uh, present some additional podcast ideas I had. And while we tinker with and fine tune those, I thought I'd present the demo version of this one here. Full explanation of what the premise is of that podcast is coming up in that episode. Uh, but uh, the guest is Matt Donnelly, who is a longtime improviser friend of mine that I've known since our New York days back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. He and his wife and his two kids are, are in Las Vegas, and he works a lot with Penn Gillette, and he does his own stuff too. He's kind of started the entire improv scene in Vegas almost single-handedly, I believe. He's branched out into writing things as well as acting and performing, and now he's including magic, and we hear a little bit about all of that. So that'll be fun. We finished up the Mel Brooks I reposted it because I uh, iTunes is a funny beast and it was showing me just the 24 minute version instead of the 40 something minute version the full hour that my dad did minus the commercials comes out to 40 something minutes 45 minutes 46 minutes uh, so I reposted that so if you listen to the short version you might want to go back and listen to the long version I'd be interested to have any feedback on what you think about the episode within the episode on this one so send me an email email at the end of the show, but also last one of the party podcast at gmail.com. You can do that. So I don't really have that much else to say because it's all kind of said in the intro to that, this upcoming episode. So I hope you enjoy the worst of the best. Worst of the Best, where we take a look at a great artist's worst thing ever. On this episode, we're joined by Matt Donnelly, actor, writer, improviser, magician, and Bruce Springsteen fan. Welcome to Worst of the Best. My guest is Matt Donnelly. I've known Matt for... A million and six years. We were both in New York back in the early 2000s doing improv at the UCB Theater. He's a longtime improviser, a terrific improviser, been with a lot of different groups, possible side effects, neutrino, on and on and on, sketch shows, teacher. And um, I've got him on today to talk about uh, a subject that's near and dear to his heart. But I also want to throw it to you, Matt, to tell me some of the stuff that you've been doing more recently now that you're located in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, I transplanted to Las Vegas in 2008. Uh, began working with improv theaters out here, worked with a faculty group out here called the Seeping Policeman, and then um, also uh, started as a comedy writer for Penn & Teller's television shows. Got dared to learn magic uh, by Penn during that, uh, one of the seasons, and, uh, and I've spent the last uh, three years as a comedy magician uh, and podcaster. So that's amazing that all of this stuff has been added to your your repertoire yeah i can't escape the feeling that improv is nerdy enough 100%. and you're piling magic on top of that yeah i mean it, magic has like centuries of tomes 
you know what I mean? And improv, like, you know, the largest we reach back for like improv tips is like Viola Spolin from 1930. And there's like right. magician books from like Egypt, you know what I mean? Like, from, true. Like, you know, like, so it's a, it is a, it is a crazy thing. Uh, it's been a really neat uh, superpower to bring to that field. Magic is very much about like following steps and doing two things at once and everything's kind of like very measured and uh, improv the, you know, the passion for things going off the rails and getting crazy and really, really listening to someone who's trying to mess with you and that kind of stuff uh, has made uh, my performance really uh, jump, jump out at people, which is nice. That's amazing. It sounds like it'd be tough to improvise a magic trick. You uh, short of of hey, look over there, and then you do something else somewhere else. (laughs) It's 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 basically that like uh, most most people, most the average magician. You know, I'd say the pet peeve of the average magician is that they kind of uh, keep their tricks on rails, and so no matter what the audience member says, they kind of go like, yeah, yeah. Anyways, back to this thing that I always do, and so uh, I like to bob and weave and. Let things go off the rails for a little bit. I've sometimes will even just let a trick go and be like, let's just move on. What's the next thing? Who cares? You know, let's just let's just keep going. Uh, and especially early on when I was making mistakes, I would just yell like that didn't work, and I would chuck something off stage and move on. <laughs> That's fantastic. And magicians were like, I can't believe you're keeping your confidence. I was like, Well, I come from improv where you just fail and move on. Like you. Failure is part of it. So yeah, just that's go. kind of a refreshing added take yeah, exactly. within the the realm of magic. We've got you on today, yes, to talk about Bruce Springsteen. Bruce, that's it. There it is. Now you come to your Bruce Springsteen affinity, yeah, geographically as well as one hundred percent aesthetically. It is a birthright. I am more just simply like indoctrinated into the guarding of Bruce Springsteen as a public figure. I, I was born in Red Bank, New Jersey. My dad had worked in Freehold, New Jersey. I've met the boss. I've met members of the E Street Band. I have uh, chatted with Patty Schiaffa, uh when she, while she smoked cigarettes. I am a uh, diehard Bruce Springsteen fan. So there are no degrees of separation between you and Bruce? No. As far as I know, I am speaking... You might as well be interviewing Springsteen, I think... <laughs> I would rather. I would rather be interviewing you than Springsteen. I've heard him interviewed. It's fine. He's not the best interview. No, he's fine. Like, you know, here's my favorite. The ideal double bill for an interview show would be Springsteen and De Niro. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least with Springsteen, you can ask him about his influences. That's what always loosens him up. Talking about other people's music, especially music before his time. That's where he's at his best. Uh, When he talks about himself, he is atrocious at talking about his own process. Yeah. So one thing that I know, being a, a lifelong jazz musician, so you, you've got this Bruce Springsteen affinity, but Red Bank, New Jersey, that's the home of Count Basie. No Count Basie affinity? Oh, I love Count Basie. I love the fact <laughs> he wrote Just a Kid from Red Bank. Performed at the Count Basie Theater. Brother played at the Count Basie basketball courts. We love the Count Basie. Nice, um, nice. In fact, next podcast, I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> go back and do Fantastic. Count Basie. And so then, so as we start to talk about Bruce Springsteen, I, one of my questions is, um, I, I have sort of a glancing affinity for Bruce. It's for me, it's fine. It's not anything I gravitate towards super hard. So that's my my disclaimer up top. Sure. One of my questions is, as a native New Jerseyan, yeah. First of all, you you don't have. Did you have to work to lose a New Jersey accent, or did you never have one? I'd say that the stereotypical Jersey accent that people know 
is actually like a regional thing that not many people from New Jersey have. Um, I did have a slight Jersey accent that I did when I went to acting schools and stuff, get coached out of saying certain things. But I still tend to mumble or speak, you know, like for instance, I went to Red Bank Regional High School, which all of us say Red Bank Regional as if it's one word and one <laughs> syllable. Uh, or we can order a bacon and cheese sandwich with salt pepper ketchup on it. And so little things like that. Uh, but there's also the South Jersey accent, which no, a lot of people know, but it's uh, where you go home, need a bagel, and every right. end of every sentence sounds like a question. It starts um, to feed into a Philly accent a little bit, right? Exactly, yeah. And that's yeah. the thing is that New Jersey is a town separated by two cities that that is a part of not not a part of the the state itself. No, you're you're sandwiched in between two of the most hostile cities in America. <laughs> yeah, and we're the <laughs> refuge. We're the cozy suburban refuge of both of those cities. Yes. And so yes. Uh, uh, we don't make any money from those cities. Is what that really means. We're talking about the the New Jersey accent. I feel it's Kennedy-esque. Does anybody else in New Jersey speak like Springsteen? Because nobody else in New England speaks like the Kennedys. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, and then Springsteen kind of developed this. Uh, it's His accent is very much almost like Joe Namath-like in that like he went to a couple of places and liked how they talked there and kind of adopted some things out of strict enthusiasm. You know, like uh, he has a whole album dedicated to the Southwest. And so he kind of talks a little bit country a little bit when his grizzled accent he also kind of talks in a little bit of a a drawl he wants to have a draw but he won't admit it and so he keeps it as a real subtle draw and he has a a jaw <laughs> that's like the bottom of a cash register and so like it naturally lends itself to that because his front is his front teeth are behind his bottom teeth and so it comes out nice and easy right there at the bottom of the throat and so he wants to talk basically like a like a like a like a western villain and and uh, and that's not. There's nothing about that is from Freehold. Nothing about that's from Freehold. And what's terrific is the Joe Namath comparison is apt because he's from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Right. But I guess because he went to Alabama, I think for, for two college. Years. Yeah, he didn't yeah. say there. <laughs> he's two... got this southern drawl, he's had and his... he's had it for sixty years, seventy years now at this point. I have to tell you, I get it. Like I, uh, it's embarrassing. Like I have I have friends uh, from Gloucester, Massachusetts. And they talk with a Massachusetts accent that's their own. And it's, you know, it's all this, this Portuguese and Italian, and it's all fishermen, right? And so right. they have this own unique way of talking. And anytime I go there or talk to my friends from there, man, I can't help but slide into it. I love talking like it. I wish I was from Gloucester. I wish I could talk like that all day long. It's so fun. And then I'm just embarrassed when I look back at the times where I basically would try to talk like that uh, when I was around them. What in, what in your opinion? First, let's start with the the upside of this. So, what makes Springsteen great? I grant you that that's a kind of an obvious question, I think, for most folks. But for someone who knows sort of just the basics of it, and you know, didn't do a deep dive, like what what is it that makes him great for you? Is it simply singing songs about Route Nine? <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, I mean, you, you, I am a diehard, so I will get into that. Okay. Uh, what, what I love about Springsteen is his ability to kind of reinvent himself. If you go across his albums, he does a lot, he's a lot more variety. You don't, you don't get to be, uh, have the career that he has uh, without really trying to change some things. So yes, indeed, his first three albums um, from the, the Wild, the Innocent, E Street Shuffle through Born to Run, you know, and I'm sorry, from Greetings from Asbury Park, 
while the innocent issue eat shuffle to born to run is indeed about route nine and getting in a car and getting away from people who are older than you and uh, <laughs> there are plenty of adventures that await and like all rock and roll is my town sucks get out of your town there's adventures out there if you're if, if your authority figures would just let you go you can go grab life by the balls and that's what all a lot of early rock is for a lot of people that's indeed what his first three albums are now from there he goes to darkness on the edge of town which is a four-year gap because of a lawsuit where he couldn't put out music because he, had, he was trying to switch managers and that lawsuit prevented him from putting out music through his record contract and in that time he was petrified that the world of rock and roll was changing and going strictly to punk and so darkness on the edge of town is completely different songwriting and completely different sound than born to run and it's also a different sounding album than the rest of his music. And that comes out and puts him back on the map. And then all of a sudden he had all this music that he was afraid to put out. And then he realized, oh, wait, no, the world is not so different that I can't put out all these songs I wrote from back in the day. And he puts out a double album called The River, which is stylistically all over the place. Long storytelling ballads, huge, you know, frat rock songs like Shirley Darling. All, I mean, the, the song itself, The River, is just a great modern rock ballad. I mean, just great, great stuff. And just that album alone, there's like four different, completely different styles of music on that album. So what makes all of that awesome is that all that becomes homogenized when you go see him in concert. He puts these songs together and he just takes you to places emotionally. You go to a Springsteen concert, he is a true rocker. You will, uh, if you go there, you will not sit down. You will get up on your feet. There may be one song or two songs where you're allowed to go to the bathroom or allowed to sit down, but that's it. And then he, as soon as people sit down, he feels it and he'll change the order and put another rock and song on and get people back up on their feet. And he puts on these great three or four hour concerts. And he is just a true rock and entertainer through and through and a good storyteller. Okay. So this, this helps clarify some, a couple of things for me because I remember as a kid for me growing up in the Bay area. So for me, I had an affinity for journey <laughs> Yes. And Santana, right. and God help me, Jefferson Starship, which was the worst <laughs> of the bunch. Hey, listen, I still have my rusted root ticket stubs upstairs. So <laughs> look, we all have our. You've got the listen. Santana is great as a musician, but those albums he made in the '80s are not good. But <laughs> no. I like them because I grew up with them. But they're not good. <laughs> but I felt the obligation because I'd seen some documentaries about the history of rock and roll, and they get to Bruce Springsteen at a certain point and show him on stage with. Clarence Clemens and, you know, just sweating his balls off singing Rosalita. And I'm like, who is this guy? So I get born to run and I'm like, huh? Okay. Like not, it's fine. It's fine. It's not what I expected, but yeah. it seems a little bit like, you know, I looking back now, I feel like it feels like show tunes to me. There is a production element to him and there's a production element to his concerts for sure. Yeah. And the, the production on that record has like, these chimey bell things in there that I immediately was as a kid was like, I don't care about that. And what is this? A Celeste, a Celeste. I don't want to hear that. But darkness yeah. was the album that when I got that, I took a sort of a second shot at it and I was like, Oh, I like this one, you know, yeah. candy's room. And that's the one I remember the most off of that album. I'm sure you could recite the whole. <laughs> I can't. If you like. an album or what are the, what are the top three big songs on that album? Well, darkness on the edge of town itself is a good one. Candy's room is good. Um, uh, Racing in the Streets 
It's probably the, the one that people gravitate towards. So that one was good. And I remember hearing Hungry Heart on the radio yeah. and thinking, is this the same guy? And I didn't want to buy a double album of Bruce. I didn't like him enough. Yeah. But I was like, oh, that I like that song. But it's like, what is happening? I don't get who this guy is. I couldn't get a beat on him, you know, from a distance, yeah. right? Right. And then, of course, he explodes with Born in the USA. Yep. Yep, yep, and yep. and then from after that, I literally lost track of. I know that he's got sort of well, a back to back two albums that were about his divorce, Lucky Town, and something else. Maybe I don't really remember, well, but I didn't well, really listen. Yeah, well, that will come up, Lucky Town. Will yeah, come okay, up. great. Um, but I would say, like, I bet there's a certain amount of listeners to this podcast that are wondering if I'm going to say Born in the USA because at one point it got very popular. If you were a diehard Bruce fan, to crap on Born in the USA. Right, like, because it's it's that thing of like he's ours, the whole world doesn't get him. He's ours. Yeah, and that like dancing in the dark and glory days and everything else. Like it's like that song becomes you know something that was played all over the place in 1984. The gigantic concert tour, unbelievably popular concert tour. But what's fascinating for me about that is it actually is a great example of someone reaching the pinnacle of all of their wares at the same time. So Bruce's concert ability is at an all-time high in the Born in the USA tour. His songwriting is tip-top on that album. That album has so many well-written songs on it. And then the composition of those songs all meet the tone so differently. I mean, there's not songs like Glory Days and and things like that that are almost more comedic or like just fun. Like he's, there aren't many albums where he shamelessly allows that to happen on almost all of his albums before or since you know but he's like i know this is fun i know how this is going to sound in concert and we're going to do it you know um and and so his storytelling his composition is all all the songs really sounding all unique to their own it's it's it is really well done and so he peaks across the board on born in usa so i will not crap on that album it's it's really well done i think if you have an album if you have an album that has and that was like that was thriller esque in a way, because there were, I'm going to guess, five hits off that album easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have um, Dancing in the Dark, Born in the USA, My Hometown, Glory Days. Um, I'm going off my top of my head, but I'm actually going to look here. You didn't say Born, you didn't even say the title track yet, did you? Oh, I, I think I said it at the very end, but I said it in Jersey, in Jersey Cadence. I mumbled it. <laughs> Born in the USA. <laughs> um, but uh, Working on the Highway, got some, got some radio play. Cover Me got some radio play i'm on fire definitely got some radio play uh no surrenders on there bobby jean yeah i mean there's five that any casual radio listener from 1984 yeah would be able to sing along to yeah uh oh that reminds me the other springsteen album i bought at the time when it came out because i liked uh darkness at the edge of town so much i bought nebraska yeah 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 that's the uh i don't like springsteen but i will buy an album album that's everyone's, I own Nebraska, is what everyone tells me when I tell them I'm from New Jersey. They're like, oh, uh, you're from Jersey? I just bought Nebraska, is basically like how every conversation goes. I, f- I feel like, the I, th- I think what you're saying is true, that predominantly it's the hipsters who, w- who will concede a tip of the hat to Bruce Springsteen by acknowledging they own Nebraska. And they're, and they're not ready for me to turn out on it. As I'm about to tell you, I was like, well, what if I told you that uh, literally uh, Born in the USA and Nebraska came out just a year and a half apart? And that, like, and that actually half those tracks were intended to be on Born in the USA on a wholly different album. And the reason why Nebraska 
exists as it was is because Bruce recorded a bunch of stuff on a four track and gave it to his manager to be like, which ones should I give to the E Street Band? And his manager was like, none of them. This is a solo album. And he was like, what's a solo album? Uh, and so, uh, And so all of a sudden, he has this whole weird turn that both takes that collection of music and puts it in Nebraska and forces him to write a whole bunch of new stuff to finish out the Born in the USA album. So a lot of the songs and why they have a different flavor to them is because they were written years apart. I knew that he had, you know, the way I'd heard the story was he put them on a cassette, but maybe it was four track bumped to a cassette and Landau was like, we're putting this out. Um, But yeah, I didn't know it was so close to Born in the USA. And the thing is that if you, if you strip down lyrically and realize that there's all storytelling, Bruce out of, again, out of a sheer panic that, he always thinks if you ever hear listen to like Larry David and why there's so many time between seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm is because every time he's done, he calls HBO and goes, that's it. I couldn't possibly make another episode. <laughs> it's it's over. And uh, it was a good run. Thank you so much. And just thinks, how do I do it? And that's what Bruce will say after every album. Just I don't think there's more is going to come to me. I don't think I have enough for another another album. And so in this situation, he gets into Hank Williams. And so he get, falls in love with storytelling and songwriting and having Mansion protagonists hell, right? and songs. Yeah. So it is his love of Hank Williams that the, the, the whole Nebraska born in the USA era is all inspired by Hank Williams. That's incredible. It seems like if you want to shake it up in music, you either have to take acid, heroin, or get into Hank Williams. And so <laughs> well, the Hank Williams is like the safest way. I was watching a documentary. This is a, a way off on a tangent, yeah. but I was watching a documentary about Louis Prima who who's the original guy who did just a gigolo that David Lee Roth did as well as many other things. And he's the voice of the orangutan in jungle book. And he started out as a jazz trumpeter with a jazz band. And he has an amazing rep in Vegas, by the way, he has a huge legacy out here. He was like in this thing, they talk about how dominant he was, how every star would go to his late night show. Like that was, he was the guy. He was the guy. Yeah. Nobody could buy. Yeah. No one could perform like him. You never knew who was going to sit in with him. Exactly. So I'm watching this thing and I'm watching him play trumpet. And, you know, later on the, the stuff that he did, you know, uh, like just a gigolo and, and Hey boy, Hey girl, things like that. Those kind of became, those were like jump swing kind of songs that, that were precursors to rock and roll. And so you can connect him to rock and roll. And when you watch him play trumpet, you it's a direct line from Louis Armstrong. So there is a, that's, that's one of many direct lines of Louis Armstrong to rock and roll. When people yeah. say like, why should I care about Louis Armstrong? It's like, well, you know, you don't have to, I'm not going to force anybody to care about Louis Armstrong, but that's how it happens. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Exactly. So things like that are fascinating to me of like, whoa that's such a far stretch back you know to pull from this thing and that's how we get to here Those... and like yeah like and if you liked guns and roses uh, you know then then louis armstrong has that popularity like he is yeah. that figure which <laughs> yes. is hard to explain to people but like you don't understand right when people go like oh i went to see louis armstrong is like i went to see the biggest act there was yes and exactly. if he and if louis armstrong was going to cover something or do something or do a version of something it was as big a deal as it got I mean, yeah. he had a number one hit while the Beatles were around. He yeah. knocked them off the number one chart. All right. So let me ask you this. With with the Springsteen catalog, mm-hmm. what, sh- what do you think is the best album and possibly also maybe what's the best song if it's on that album or maybe it's a, a song that's the best on a different album? You know, what's the best of Springsteen? Oh, I mean, you know, it's it's so funny because, you know, I uh, I do a comedy podcast with my partner and so... Uh, in that they just make fun of me for loving Springsteen. Um, and so I, 
my experience of trying to turn people onto it, it is silly, but honestly, Born to Run is still such a great album. It's such a great album. It's such a great example of the band's sound that yeah. like it's 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 an absolute go to. I'd say like the most underrated album of like of him still having his fastball, I would say is uh magic. And if you want to if you want Springsteen in this century, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh and wondering if he like like you said I, i'd never bought another album after blank uh yeah. in 2007 he put out magic and that has a bunch of just uh fantastic songs on it well he also had a resurgence uh with the rising which was the tribute for yeah I mean, that was uh that was that got a lot of attention Definitely. I mean, that's 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 a weird one, right? Where you're like, am I ever going to write another album? And then you just read obituary yeah. after obituary of someone <laughs> going like, loved Bruce. We love Bruce. <laughs> yeah. And he says that like someone stopped him on the street and just said, "You, Bruce. And he's like, hey, he's like, and he said, we need you. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, I think if you don't get in the studio after that, you're just a terrible person. Yeah. So I agree. I agree with, you know, again, given for me, given the choice, if somebody says, you got to spend the day listening to Born to Run or Darkness. I'm going to say Darkness. Yeah. But I understand 100% that Born to Run is the the culmination of him in the 70s. It's the culmination of him not overwriting quite so much. I feel like on some yes. of those, like um, Blinded I, by the Light, boy, there's some lines in there that's like, it's like the thing that they say <laughs> about Star Wars. Like, George, you can write this shit, but we got to say it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like what? Why are you writing this stuff that you have to sing it so much? Man for um, man would and disagree think, with you, but yes. No, no, no. A hundred percent. I love that. You know, but uh, you hear those things, you know, like Magical Mr. And it's like, what is this pseudo psychedelic beat poetry thing? And it's he psychedelic kind of, he doesn't, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't dispense with it on board to run, but he kind of distills it to its essence. So there are those evocative, somewhat flowery phrases, but not to an excess. So I, yeah. I, I can, I can see what you're saying. And I, I think that that does sum up like that cover of time and Newsweek simultaneously. That is that represents Springsteen. That's kind of the ur text for Springsteen. Definitely. And I think Thunder Road is on there. And I think that's just, I yeah, love, I, mean, I think it's one of those beautifully yeah. written songs. I love that song so much. Would you say that's his best song? I think so. Like all of this is sub- obviously like. Obviously subjective. Gonna chisel I mean, I this in. Favorite... Nobody's going to chisel this in granite. I can ch- I give you my favorite song for each album or each era or whatever. But I can tell yeah, you that course. I believe that like, if I were to put up a piece of song for someone else to be like, this is songwriting. I think Thunder Road is, is is as good as it gets. It, it, it or means- even just somebody who who wakes up from a forty year coma and they say, "I got to know what Bruce Springsteen is, but I only have time for one song." So, oh yeah, Thunder Road's a great choice, definitely. And like so, you know, my 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 five year old kid still has me singing to him when he goes to sleep. So like he even likes it. You know, it's nice. it's it's a uh, and it is a let's get out of town song. Get in my car and yes. get out of town. Which yeah. is which is rock, you know. That's so, the one about the door slams. Yes, roll down yeah, the window, yeah. let the uh, wind blow wind back, blow to back your to hair. your hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that was again. Uh, I my my recollection of when I purchased that album as as a young person. Yeah, was that I there was something about Tenth Avenue Freeze Out that I liked. Yeah, and that song, those two songs really stood out. I'd heard Born to Run, and I was fine with it but it seemed a little you know like as i said kind of like it was that 11 o'clock broadway number to me i was like okay you know what i mean 
I get it. It's great. I'm not saying it's not great. I'm not an idiot, but it just doesn't stop. You know what I mean? Like this could be the best chocolate volcano cake in the whole world, but I don't like chocolate volcano cakes. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's, it is, it is, uh, it is also meant for concerts. Like, yes. And, and, and that was even with the, the album you brought up, even with the rising, like I didn't, I, I got the album. It was really nice. There's a, there's a really distinct shift where he gets a violinist in the band. Yeah. And the, and that and the strings really dominate a lot of tracks on that album. I can't do violins. And uh, but then I saw him in concert, and I was like, "Oh, these songs are meant to be out here." Yeah. Like this is he was picturing singing this to his right. audience, and and they and they really explode live. There's a famous, and I use the term relatively. There's a famous Miles Davis quote that the album is just a menu for what you might hear when you come see him in concert. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And, and I think that's I think that's a smart way for anybody to make an album. Yeah. And I I'll think t- you can crawl up your own ass a little bit and try to recreate, you know, the Sgt. Pepper's experience or something like that and make an album for an album's sake. But ultimately, you know, you gotta make this as like, here's here's what we're gonna basically sound like when you come see us in person. Yeah, the cement isn't fully dry on any piece that makes an album. You're you're, you're still discovering it. You know, I work on Penn and Teller's uh, Fula show, and every year they have to come up with thirteen routines to close out their thirteen shows a season, and um, you know, uh, then they goes into a live show, and they'll they'll always both both the guys will always say like, oh gosh, you know, that you bring up the, their appearance on Fula, and they're like, oh, this routine's come so far since we did it for right. television, you know? Yeah, and uh, yeah. You put it up on its feet and you learn where you can stretch it and where you can bite yeah. into it and what needs to go and all of that stuff. Yeah. So now let's get into the, the heart of the matter. <laughs> we've, we've extolled the virtues of Springsteen, which many have done before us. It doesn't need that much doing, but just to establish the sort of the base, what do you think is the absolute worst of Springsteen? Whether it's an album and a song or just a song, what, what, what is it that is just like- I will say that there's definitely like- uh, I'll start with just a song because it's 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 one that like uh, if I bring it up to other Springsteen fans they wince, you know, uh, and it's not just because it's bad. It's just like it's it's bizarre. Uh, on Devils and Dust, which is a great solo album and and, and subsequent tour, uh, it was a great solo tour as well. We did one of the cool, really experimental stuff uh, on it. There's a song track three called Reno, and Reno is a song about a guy uh, paying for uh, sex from a prostitute in Reno. And it's just uh, graphic lyrics about that experience. Uh, just the first, the first verse is, she took off her stockings. I held them to my face. She oh. had your ankles. I felt filled with grace. So this protagonist, <laughs> oof, it starts off. What year did this come out, and how old is Springsteen when he's writing this song? Because <laughs> oh. because if Grandpa's writing about this, it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's 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 from two thousand five. He's not a young person. Yeah, he's he's in his sixties at that point, right? Yeah, fifties, I think. Yeah, late fifties. Like, yeah, yeah, nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, he's certainly getting some ARP magazines, and then you know, uh, if you <laughs> listen, have all the sex you want when you're fifty-seven. Don't yeah. write songs about it. No exactly. one wants to hear those songs. Yeah. No Not even other 57-year-olds. And then, like, how, I don't know, like, how you hand this off to your manager. How do you play this for your wife to be like, check out this one? Uh, I don't know how that all goes down. <laughs> he has two sons at this point, I know for a fact. 
you know, <laughs> like, no, it was a character. I'm imagining the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, and then um, the third lyric, she had your ankles, is one that really sticks sticks me the weird way. Uh, yeah. This prostitute is to remind him of someone else. And uh, is the person dead or alive? And should ankles be the trigger of which I remember this other person while I'm having this paid uh, experience? I don't know. Maybe I'm not seeing this picture right. What is she doing if she's holding his ankles? <laughs> no, no. I guess I guess uh, uh, the prostitute has her ankles, like as if like I can see. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Her she's in... holding her. An- yeah, yeah, got, got, got. Yeah, which yeah, by the yeah, way, I've tried show. this line at bars. It never works. Nice ankles, or you're going to the wrong bars. <laughs> you're in Vegas. The right bars are there. <laughs> hey, you have a supermodel's ankles. <laughs> Can I buy you a drink? Uh, <laughs> nice southern accent. Yeah, I'm from Jersey. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, the whole song is like a conversation and a description of the sexual experience, I guess, as artistically as it can be written, but there's really some weird ones. Uh, she slipped me out of her mouth, that kind of stuff. Just Oof. nothing that's along the lines of 10th Avenue freeze out. I'll just tell you that right now. It sounds like he may have been cleaning out the garage and found a box full of old penthouse magazines and was kind of thumbing through the letters to penthouse and was like, <laughs> this would be a good song. You find inspiration in the strangest places. I mean, yeah. I, there's and it's like it ends with like uh, she bought me a whiskey. Said, "Here's the best you've ever had." We laughed and made a toast. It wasn't the best I ever had, not even close. Which I was like, I don't know if you're going for like a Leonard Cohen esque thing or something, where you're trying to like give this kiss goodbye to the experience. But like, uh, so like you decided to write about a mediocre experience with a prostitute. Uh, where you remember someone dead or alive uh, that's not there. I don't, I do, it is the strangest. It's a long song. It's a ballad. It's weird. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. not good. It is not wow. a good song at all. That is the, the Nadir for Bruce Springsteen. I've <laughs> got to imagine when that album came out, even he never did that song in concert. I think he did actually. Oh my God. And I think kind of go like, all right. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I feel like if he tried to do that song in concert now, every woman in the auditorium would just boo. I think so. <laughs> On so many different, for so many principles. Yeah, the, there, the world you know? has changed. Like, yeah, for a, a lot. It also seems strange that he's like, nah, she wasn't that great. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a service you're paying for. You're allowed to rate it on do a Yelp <laughs> review, it, I guess. It. This should be called two and a half stars. <laughs> two and a half stars. Oh, my God. <laughs> Room too cold. <laughs> um, just, yeah. I, I I mean, I calling it Reno, too. Like, all of it just is like, it is it is uh, just a weird, just a weird palette that you want us to relate to or buy into or, or go for. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's just nothing about it r- reaches me in any good way. I went to Reno in high school for a high school jazz band competition. Yeah. And I went as a junior in high school and we went again when I was a senior in high school and it was depressing even then <laughs> as a kid, like it was 
I mean, there were so many things wrong with what happened in Reno, especially my junior year. It was, yeah. it's a whole other, this is a whole other podcast for, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as, as seminal moments Vegas. as a 15 year old, you know, but yeah, had it been Las Vegas, I feel like it would have been radically different. Yeah. I, you know, small casino towns are weird, you Ooh, know? Yes. It kind of exposes that the, uh, that a casino itself is all smoke and mirrors. Like when you're around a lot of it. <laughs> Sometimes Vegas, literally. It, yeah, it's it's exciting. And then when you're around like just a few of them and just the kind of something's going on and like the the vacant rooms with the slot machines dinging away with bored dealers sitting at empty tables, it really gets weird. It gets, it gets weird fast. And I think, you know, this was so long ago that I was in, in Reno and we also took a vacation as when I was a kid to Tahoe and drove to the, is it the South shore where they do the gambling? It's across the line. You can do the gambling. And oh, so, yeah, yeah. and so we kind of were in as like younger kids, like 10, 11 years old, whatever. The difference with Reno is it seems like the, and this may be misremembering, but those casinos are only about gambling and there's not much with Vegas. It's about the shows. Yeah. Right? yeah it's, it's hospitality. You've got the offset. Like they want you to get in there and spend your money and blow a bunch of money so that people get rich, obviously, but they're also giving you showbiz and glitz and glamor. And Reno is just like, Hey, you want to play that slot machine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, just like there's nothing else, but just like creepy lower level stuff. And Tahoe at least had like beautiful yeah, scenery Tahoe. as well. So it had a nice little like elegance in that natural elegance to it that was a distraction from just the sadness of, as you say, like one person at a slot machine just that's pulling the, that that's lever. That's the conversation where you go like Reno and someone goes Reno. The response is, you know, it's right near Lake Tahoe. And that's like <laughs> how the conversation goes all the time. Or like, if you go to Reno, like, I guess you're like you can go to Lake Tahoe while you're there. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like uh, you should go to Lake like, Tahoe instead of there. That's exactly it, and they're like close together. Like somehow Reno hasn't been able to properly absorb Lake Tahoe into its <laughs> reputation. Like, yeah, I guess Lake Tahoe's like, no, we're definitely still not Reno. I know I can <laughs> touch it, but I'm not there. I'm not. I'm not that person. <laughs> we're cousins, but yeah, their parents divorced, so technically I don't I see him anymore. <laughs> I know who you're talking about, and I see them often, but we only exchange pleasantries. I cannot relay any message to him. I can't. We're Facebook friends, but I've muted him. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely like Tahoe's relationship to me, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. Now we've got it. We've got it figured out. Yeah. The worst thing that Bruce Springsteen ever did was Reno. I think so. I mean, we can go to albums if you want, but... Uh, 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 what do you think his weakest album is, just overall? Just I was looking at this because there was the... Uh, you know, there's the I broke up. You know, broke up the whole Eastry band in you know eighty seven, eighty eight, and then he came back with not solo records, but kind of like a different assembled band that wasn't officially like his band, where he put out two albums at the same time. This is March thirty first, nineteen ninety two. He puts out Lucky Town and Human Touch at the same time. Right. Yeah, I remember that. And I can't find a good reason anywhere on the internet as to why it's not just a double album but it's definitely two distinct albums and why he put them out the same exact day at the same exact time. And so because of my lack of information, I have to believe he wanted to get out of a record contract. <laughs> oh, so, uh, I'm bad. That's yeah. my only explanation I can find that. And so 
when I look at those two, those are the ones where he's supposed to play an unplugged show and then the band wasn't ready to do anything like that. And so they had to plug in. Uh, that's where he goes on SNL and people kind of start to really, really torch him critically uh, for these two albums and wondering why he isn't working with the Street Band anymore. I mean, these albums aren't as terrible as that memory of them are. I mean, he actually says he got divorced and married Patty. And so he actually put yeah. out two albums that are happy. And that's why people don't like it because it's because it's about happy stuff. And I don't think that's accurate. Um, so I looked at the, the, the I looked to see which one was the weaker album of those two. So these are the ones I go to the least. And at first, Human Touch, the song itself got a lot of radio play. It is a good song. But then I look at the rest of the album, and I think Human Touch is weaker than Lucky Town. Mm. Lucky Town has uh, Better Days, Local Hero, Leap of Faith, Living Proof, uh, My Beautiful Reward. Those are those are things that, um, and, and the song Lucky Town itself is pretty good. Even if you're not, tell me you, you cited all those songs by memory. <laughs> I, of course I did. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, you know, I used to read music magazines back around that time much more than I do now. Right. And among them was Rolling Stone, which which was for the longest time stuck in a particular era, yeah. way longer than it should have been. But they seemed to rate those two albums highly. Um, and I remember sort of dipping in and checking them out and just, you know, kind of being, you know, it felt very tepid to me. So I didn't really, you know, hang on to them. Um, but I remember that they got, they didn't get, I, my memory is that they weren't, maybe they were trashed when they initially came out, but very soon after Rolling Stone maybe tried to revise history by saying like, these are actually really good. Yeah. This is kind of a resurgence of Bruce. As a Bruce fan, I can say that Rolling Stone seems to like know that and doesn't ever want me to be upset. It seems like Rolling Stone just writes glowing things about Springsteen. Um, Well, you know, you, you know the history for that. I don't. Landau, John Landau, his manager. Oh yes, 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 yes. It's a manager editor at Rolling Stone, and was like, "I gotta, I gotta manage this guy." And then, while managing him, was also writing about him, right, in his early career, which is like, "Oh, that's a pretty sweet deal for you, Bruce." <laughs> like, it's like, well, I know that. Yeah, like, I've seen the history of rock and roll, and his name is Bruce Springsteen. Is John Landau's quote, <laughs> yes. who becomes his manager. Yes. Yeah. And continues to work for, for Rolling Stone and continues to write about him while also managing him. Yeah, yeah. Because he's put out two albums recently and they're just okay. They're not great. They're really weird, actually. Yeah. Um, but they're not weird in that like they should be bad. Like Human Touch came out a long time ago. And I look at this thing, Soul Driver. I can't even tell you what that song sounds like. 57 channels and nothing on is terrible. It's I remember really that not song. Good. Yeah. Um, Cross my heart. I don't know. Gloria's eyes with every wish. Roll the dice. Real world. I kind of remember real world. All or nothing. All's okay. Dedicated and, to the MTV show, right? Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. Eight strangers in a house. Um, man's <laughs> job is an okay song. And that's wait. It. He's like, got a song on there also called "Strangers in a House." Maybe this is a whole album for <laughs> the real world on MTV. No, no, no. I was singing. I was singing as Springsteen. Uh, the lyrics oh. to "Real World." <laughs> <laughs> but i really there's no other song that even catches my eye it's like oh like that was a good one like it's it's really it just falls off a cliff um and it just does not hold up whereas i've seen him do you know when he does puts out a solo record he does solo tours i've seen him sing a lot of songs from lucky town and been like oh these are good songs and he really doesn't reach out to this album at all uh on hmm. his tours so i think human touch it's like just take that song there clearly is a good album between the two there clearly right, could have right. been a great album with, you know, nine tracks between these two albums and it would have been fine. 
Uh, but which I again think... is just more. It, it's even more interesting that he put them out as separate. Yeah. Albums than a double album because you know Paul McCartney has the quote about the White Album where people will say, "Oh, it's should really be these tracks and it would have been an amazing single album." And he said on the Beatles anthology or something, you know, shut up. It's the white album, you know, like it is what it, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, okay. So it was a double album and you were feeling yourselves cause you were the Beatles and you were like, we can put Rocky raccoon on here and we can put, you know, <laughs> exactly. honey pie on here. And, you know what I mean? And so he's not even doing that though. He's no, I can't distinguishing the between the two and didn't pick the cream of the crop to do just one album. No, I know a lot of anecdotes about Springsteen. And I can't find a one that tells me why he put out two totally different albums on the same day that aren't even musically distinct from one another. It's not like one's a blues album or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, they're yeah. really indistinct. And I have no idea to this day why it exists. So it's probably, in terms of the worst, it's probably the most peculiar thing in his in his repertoire. Yeah. Cause this, Interesting. Because even his latest ones, like Western Stars is really weird, but it clearly has a motif. Like he clearly, he had just done his Broadway show forever. And so he wanted to obviously get away from all of his old material. And so he goes for a totally different sound. And he's really these weird sweeping cinematic songs that also seemed oddly influenced by Morrissey. Like it's really bizarre. But at least I get it. Like I get doing a Broadway show where you sing the same songs every night. And there's songs you've already been singing for 50 years. I totally yeah. get some doing something totally different. And so I understand that album, even though I personally don't appreciate it. It makes sense to me. The human touch lucky town makes no sense to me. I don't get it. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. Well, I always wonder, you know, people keep similar to Paul McCartney. He's been around for so long yeah. that he's been through the ringer of like, he's the best, he's the worst. And the inevitable, like yeah. now you're just a legend and everything you do is great. You could, do an album of you whistling, playing a ukulele and everybody's going to be like, Oh, Paul. And, you know, give him a pass on it. But I often wonder, you know, this guy shows up on these talk shows when he's got something to promote or talk about it, whatever it is, doesn't yeah. matter. He's a Beatle, have him on for whatever reason. But it's that thing of you're asking him constantly. His whole life has been people asking him about a, what an eight year period from when he was 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Imagine if everywhere you went, all people wanted to talk about was your sophomore and junior years of high school. Yes. And specifically like, and the then, guy you played football with. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, right. Hey. like you were the amazing wide receiver and he was the amazing quarterback. And that's all people want to talk about was yeah. how for four years in high school, you guys destroyed all the state records or whatever. And yeah. it's like, you know, you're now 30, 35, 40, 40, you know, and at a certain point you're like, I don't want to talk about high school anymore. I've done so many other things, you know? Yeah. And you're asking about a guy I broke up with before he died. Like, they're like, oh, when he died, imagine what would have happened. It's like, yeah, we weren't recording together then. So yeah, we still go and have dinner and reminisce and, and catch up. But yeah. like, what are you talking about? Yeah, my yeah. life would not, my career wouldn't have gone that much differently had he lived. We were doing different things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wonder if, you know, Bruce is now at that point where he's like, stop asking me about Born to Run. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think he got that way with with Western Stars. And then he just came up with a letter to you, which is, again, that's kind of a... Uh, that's what I like, is he goes out to these weird solo projects. Like, his favorite one that I love is he did this whole Pete Seeger Sessions band, where he just recorded covers of Pete Seeger stuff. And Magic is the E Street album that comes out after the Seeger Sessions. And it's so clearly influenced that album and that and that sound that, that, that I like the, the folding back in of it. It's really what makes that album great. 
Western stars definitely influenced Letter to You, but I didn't really like Western stars. So therefore the influences on the E Street album that followed are just okay to me. Right, right. He got into like really broad, unspecific. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm no more Hank Williams. I'm writing really broad lyrics that are meant to just sing to the hearts of every person. And so that songwriting still is in Letter to You, the latest album, which I find to be just okay. That always makes the best art when you're when you're writing or creating something that's as general as possible. <laughs> that's it. I mean, we know from improv <laughs> background, right? Like it's so funny. Like the more you are specific, the more people laugh and say it's relatable. Yeah, uh, it's that weird thing, and so when you lose track of that artistically, I think it's I think it's a weird thing to see happen with uh, with Bruce. Well, Matt, thank you so much. I've kept you much longer than I intended to, but we've we've got we've got the info that we need now. Yeah, good. yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And the worst of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so this is great. Uh, maybe we'll do a follow up on Count Basie. I feel like we're going to talk about the Atomic Basie a lot, and I'm going to be trying to talk about the Lester Young Basie years. Yeah, a I mean, lot. That's if this that doesn't secretly become a big band podcast, I, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A. Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason. (laughs) 